how can we perhaps find nurses that have done volunteer work but might not be actively in practice anymore or how can we connect employers with work with other retired workforce so we really are thinking more as like the convener and the influencer as regulators so we're thinking about how can we bring not just volunteer nurses into the picture but maybe bring them back more robustly and provide incentives for payment which some statutes had prohibited before from tyler technologies it's the tyler tech podcast where we talk about issues facing communities today and highlight the people places and technology making a difference my name is Jeff Harrell. I'm the Director of Content Marketing here at Tyler, and I'm glad that you've joined me. Well, from the great resignation to COVID to the aging of today's workers, there are many contributing factors to the ongoing problem of workforce shortages. Regulators have a unique role to play in keeping the workforce pipeline moving as they determine who is eligible to work in a wide range of industries. Well, what can state regulators do to combat workforce shortages? What lessons have regulators learned from the pandemic? And what trends can we see in why and how people choose to work? Well, to help us answer all of those questions is Ronnie Hines. Ronnie is the director at the Division of Professions and Occupations at the Colorado Department of Regulatory Agencies and is a past president and board director of CLEAR. CLEAR is the Council on Licensure, Enforcement, and Regulations, and is the largest network of professional and occupational regulators dedicated to the exchange of information, education, and training, and identifying and sharing best practices. She is a wealth of knowledge. You're going to enjoy this conversation on a very trending topic right now. Here's my conversation with Ronnie Hines. Ronnie Hines, welcome to the Tyler Tech Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're very excited to talk to you because I think we hear a lot about the workforce shortage we hear about the great resignation, things like quiet quitting. There's all kinds of things in the media right now. And I would love for you as an expert just to paint the picture right now. What's going We're here in Q4 of 2022. What's the current status? What's the latest? Kind of give us that from your perspective. Sure, that's a great question. As a regulator, I think workforce is one of the most pressing issues for us. I think we had seen a lot of shortages before the pandemic and now since the pandemic or even as the pandemic continues we can continue to see those shortages we see demographic shifts and other broader economic trends we definitely had seen it in healthcare before but as healthcare workers really have burned out and we've seen a lot of resignations as part of the great resignation or to your point like the quiet resignation it's just a huge issue not just in the us but internationally so we really have seen it and we really have continued to focus on um, how we might support the workforce and the pipeline as regulators so really it's important to have that foresight as much as we can and the appropriate data so we can provide some context on how we'll be working moving forward to make sure that we can support that pipeline while having robust trained professionals to provide services to citizens. And I imagine as much foresight as you might have had in 2019, you couldn't have seen a pandemic 
coming like we saw in early 2020. Talk to us a little bit about what impact that had the last couple of years. And as you mentioned, we're still feeling the ramifications. And I know the pandemic's not quote unquote over. I think we were able to deal with it a little bit better today, hopefully, than we were in early 2020. But talk a little bit about that. What impact did that have? Sure. I think that obviously I don't think any regulator or even any employer could have anticipated what we would see with a pandemic. And But I do think that regulators, I think that employers and just services generally across the U.S. were really nimble in responding as quickly as they could to make sure that everyone was safe. For example, many states lifted licensing restrictions on different aid workers. And by that, the best example is providing temporary licenses, right? A lot of the testing facilities had to shut down. There wasn't as much remote testing. And so we really had to think about how to keep, especially like the nursing pipeline coming in, and Colorado in particular issued many temporary licenses. We're actually starting to wind that up now. It's just now that we're starting to wind it up to make sure that testing was available, not just written testing, but different professions also have in-person practical testing. So with distancing requirements um, finally being limited now and lifted, we really have caught up almost, right? To where testing has almost returned to normal. We, You also saw scopes expanded or where delegation of certain scopes of practice could be passed down. We saw a lot of that with uh, respiratory therapists and hospitals and where doctors or some nurses could delegate down as long as that was overseen so that there was a more robust workforce who was still skilled, but they were just more supervised to make sure that all the patients could have appropriate healthcare services available to them. So that's how we first responded. And we are, to your point, winding a lot of that up. But states really got creative. They got creative with telehealth. They were creative with scope of practice and even trying to find ways to work to open testing up faster. So we see more remote testing now. So that's, it was a very fast change. And I think even for us as regulators, having to move our workforces home very quickly. So they were safe and continue the licensing work and the complaint work that's so important to keep our citizens safe. And I wonder too, you mentioned being nimble and everyone had to figure things out how to work from home in some cases. And I know that opened up some opportunities for people where, hey, I I don't want to have to move to another state, but now I can work at that company without having to move because they We now have this new world of virtual working and things like that. And so I think it it opened opportunities for some people, but I imagine some of those occupations where being in person is important, did it put more pressure on those occupations? Yes, I think, so my division is an umbrella division. We have not just healthcare, but technical professions as well. And so to your point, obviously healthcare had to be in person. The hospitals were overwhelmed. I think many still are. That really has resulted in some burnout of workforce. And so how do you provide that support for them to be in person, very burned out, continue? So that that has been a big effort and focus, I think, for all of the states. But some of our professions like electrical and plumbing, our inspectors were out the whole time. Construction continued, safe distancing, obviously, but Um, to build houses and to have the inspections. That's really important, right? And you don't want to stop that work for the economy or, but also still have to consider safety. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I wonder too, 
example for me is I went on vacation to a town near where you live in the mountains and noticed a lot of the restaurants were closed because they couldn't get help. They said literally on the sign on the front door, closed, just don't have enough help. And I think my question is, what are some of the ways citizens are being impacted by this workforce shortage that maybe they don't even realize? Like, I think some people feel, oh, my house was delayed getting finished because we didn't have enough either people or couldn't get there in person or whatever. What are some of the ways you're seeing that citizens are being impacted? Uh, Sure, that's a great question. And a lot of that doesn't even involve regulation. I think we're seeing the same thing. You see the signs everywhere that you're not seeing service industry, enough service industry, even in the schools. For example, my daughter, they carpool to her volleyball games because there aren't enough bus drivers. And I think that industries are competing for that that workforce, right? Whether it's the great resignation or the quiet sort of resignation, people wanting to stay home and find alternatives has been really important. And even where you think about some professions, like for example, a certified nurse aide, that's really hard, but important work, especially for home health, for nursing homes. And they might not make as much doing that, even though they have training and education to do that, as if they went and worked in a service industry where maybe they wouldn't have to be as exposed or in a more challenged environment. So I think we're seeing it everywhere, but I think that as much as we can attract and provide other opportunities, some of those include grants for more education. Some states are doing that. Trying to get that pipeline coming to the industries that we know need that, that, those kinds of services most and those kind of workers. But definitely it's impacting citizens, I think, across all industries, not just regulation. We'll be back to my conversation with Ronnie Hines in just a moment. If you're a Tyler client, I want to let you know that Tyler Connect is coming up. In fact, we want you to save the date and join us at Tyler Connect Annual User Conference, which is May 7th through May 10th of 2023. And you can experience the best Tyler product training while networking with thousands of industry peers, all while enjoying historical San Antonio. For more information, go to tylertech.com forward slash connect. Early registration is starting in December. So mark it down, save the date, May 7th through May 10th in San Antonio, Texas. Now back to my conversation with Ronnie Hines. That was going to be my question to you as a regulator. What can you do to help that pipeline? I know it's you probably can't go to every person and go, hey, we want you to do meaningful work. So even though you may not make as much, it might be more meaningful to be in this healthcare industry than doing something else. What are some things that you're thinking about that state regulators can do? I think, so again, I'm in Colorado. I think some of the things we're saying other states are doing as well, whether that's a grant, um, an education grant to, to maybe step up to that next level or maybe get a micro credential to where they could earn more than if they were in a different industry. I think we're even seeing some some industries or some state regulators really even looking to, can they find a way to waive testing for that person or provide mileage to the testing facility? Those are some of the examples we've seen so far, but I think we'll continue to see that competition of how can we attract them to stay and how can we attract them to maybe even step up and serve in a more robust way? And I'd love to know, Ronnie, are we seeing some maybe glimmers of hope as people 
you know, I think through the pandemic, a lot of us thought about you know, what is the work that we want to be doing? What's what are the opportunities that we want to jump into? What's going to be meaningful for us to do to spend the rest of our time and life on? Are you seeing some glimmers of hope in some of these different areas? I think we are. I think that, again, we're trying to be nimble and thoughtful and maybe even innovative, which I know people don't really think regulators can be innovative, but how can we perhaps find nurses that have done volunteer work but might not be actively in practice anymore? Or how can we connect employers with work with other retired workforce? So we really are thinking more as like the convener and the influencer as regulators. So we're thinking about how can we bring not just volunteer nurses into the picture, but maybe bring them back more robustly and provide incentives for payment, which some statutes had prohibited before. Or how do we bring nurses or maybe doctors out of retirement and fill some of those needs across the different service areas. So I do think that regulators are being innovative and really looking at ways to extend that footprint in the healthcare system that we maybe hadn't thought of before. Let's end with this. Ronnie, you said at the beginning when we were chatting that you guys are always trying to look forward and see what's coming up. I'd love to know next six 12, 18 months, what are some of the things that you're seeing? What are some of the trends that you're keeping your eye on? Sure. I think that we are really going to continue to focus on workforce and shortages. I think that it's not just a national problem, it's an international problem. And with that, we really are thinking of how we can best combat burnout. And maybe there is technology that can lead to efficiencies for our own workforce. We definitely have, we're still remote for the most part, but we want to make sure we're maintaining relationships and supporting mental health. I think we'll continue to see that as a trend as we've really seen non-traditional workforce that used to always be in the office be more remote. And what lessons have we learned in the past couple of years to be agile, not just to engage, but to best serve our communities? I think some provinces in Canada have even passed legislation to have the right to disconnect. So I think that's obviously hard in some industries, but I think it's important. Colorado has created a behavioral health care administration to make sure mental health is addressed on a statewide level and bringing all of the different agencies together that touch behavioral health to meet the needs of citizens. I think in the next 18 months too, we're going to see maybe even an evaluation of how telehealth has impacted our work and how that could be expanded. Some of those changes would have to be legislative based on where the provider is versus where the patient is to make sure that there's jurisdiction to handle if there is an issue. But I think that for the most part, those are the trends we're seeing. One other trend I would really want to mention is really thinking about how we can think of workforce in a way that we haven't thought of before. So we see a lot of compacts, which allows for mobility, and obviously mobility is going to be important. We've opened up different licensing reciprocity laws. And I think we'll continue to see that so that there's flexibility in other ways besides compacts. And just thinking about the appropriate regulatory burden to have qualified practitioners, but really making sure they they come in the workforce, they stay in the workforce. One of the other ways we're able to do that is really thinking about alternative workforce. For example, are there pathways to bring internationally trained graduates in? Are they can not only contribute to the workforce, but if they're qualified and the challenges provide documentation of their training, that would be an important pathway. We have provided pathways for military veterans to come in. So maybe they don't have to start at the beginning of a training. They can use their military training and just maybe they already qualified to take a test to be a licensed practical nurse. 
are. So the other sort of flexibility that we have, and I think other states are doing this too, we now have free spouses that are licensed in another state can come to our state and have a free license for three years. They have to get a state license if they if their tour of du- their spouse's tour of duty is longer. So those pathways I think are becoming more prevalent. And then the last pathway that I think is important to mention is what if someone has a criminal background, but they've gotten training and they want to make sure they can get their license. I think a lot of states are really thinking about those collateral consequences and filling workforce still with competent trained professionals, but really looking at those applications for licensing on a case-by-case basis. So I think we'll continue to see those kind of innovative approaches to licensing for the next three months. Love it. Yeah, and the veteran one really resonated with me too. Veterans Day coming up, and yeah, I love how you guys are thinking and being a little bit, like you said, innovative and more creative and be able to solve this problem. If someone wanted to get in contact with you, Ronnie, what's the best way for them to do that? I think depending on the state, right? I think depending on the state and the profession you're seeking, look at your licensing board, look at your licensing program. For some states that could be like we are, we're one big agency and we house more than 50 professions. Other states house them individually. So just, I think it's easy to go to the state websites and find the appropriate board and the contact information. You can figure out what the training requirements are and you can really figure out the best pathway forward to get licensed. Awesome. Ryan, this has been great. Thanks for all the great work that you're doing and for joining the Tower Tech Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. We have a lot more episodes planned on a variety of topics impacting the public sector. So please subscribe to the Tyler Tech Podcast. Again, my name is Jeff Harrell. I'm the Director of Content Marketing here at Tyler. I really appreciate you joining me. We'll talk to you soon.